This is the Out of Office podcast for September 2014. Five myths about leading distributed teams. Welcome to the Out of Office podcast, where you'll learn how to work from virtually anywhere by using the internet for greater convenience, comfort, and freedom. Your hosts are Chris Pudney and Gihan Pereira. G'day, Gihan. How are you going? I'm very well, Chris. How are you? Yeah, pretty good. Pretty good. We've uh, had some record hot spring weather, but uh, it's calmed down again. Yes, yes, it has. Yeah, it has. It's uh, looks like it's going to be a great spring and summer. Yeah. Uh, the other thing that's really interesting for me at the moment is uh, I'm doing a bit more conference speaking, which means a bit more travel, a bit more organising stuff, and I've I've decided to take the plunge and hire a VA or a virtual assistant. Uh-huh. So this is somebody who's going to be working for me part-time, so she'll be working 20 hours a week. And it's re- really great because I think she'll take some of the work that I shouldn't be doing. She'll be taking that off my hands, but also doing some of the other stuff that I just haven't got around to doing because I just haven't got the time to do that. So I'm really looking forward to that. Uh, it's not it's not uncommon now that you, if you're a manager or a leader, that you're managing people who aren't all in the same office. So, so we, they're sometimes called virtual teams, remote teams, distributed teams. But basically what we're talking about is a team where not everybody's in the same office as, as you are. So as a leader or manager, you've got to figure out how to manage and lead those teams effectively. Surveys that have been done show that many managers and leaders, even good ones, don't really know how to manage their virtual team members effectively, uh, especially when it comes to the sort of things that they're used to with their in, in-house teams, so communication, trust, um, how to manage deadlines, how to get the team to make decisions, and all of those sort of things get in the way. And uh, even worse, there's some common myths about virtual teams, which can, which can cause friction within the team on a day-to-day basis and even seriously damage its long-term performance. So we thought we'd have a look at this. We'd, we'd look at some of these myths and look at some suggestions and advice for how managers and leaders can effectively manage a virtual team. And uh, I, I did a workshop on this recently, Chris, at a conference for HR managers. Uh, they were looking at uh, virtual teams. They had some mixed teams, hybrid teams, where some were in the office and some were virtual, and we looked at five myths based on some research about leading and managing those sort of teams. So we're going to look at that today and particularly look at it from the point of view of you if you're a manager or a leader. So for each of those five myths, we'll look at how individuals behave and perform in in those uh, virtual teams, uh, what you need to do as a manager for the whole team, and also at a broader big picture level, let's look at the organizational culture and whether that supports or hinders virtual teams. So we've got these five myths and we decided as we were divvying up the work that what we do is uh, I'd introduce each of them and then Chris, you can talk about what you what individuals and uh, managers and teams need and then I'll look at the big picture. Okay, Gihan, why don't you lead off with the first myth? Uh, Myth number one is it's too difficult to build trust. So many leaders and managers think that building trust in the virtual team is more difficult than building them with people um, in a face-to-face, in-person team. And the reality is it's not just – it's not more difficult. It's just a different way that you do it. So in an in-person team, you build trust because you're there. You're physically there. So you build trust through your physical interactions, talking to people about what they did on the weekend, and that sort of going out to lunch, having pizza together as a team, all the sort of social and personal stuff, uh, those are the sort of cues that people use to develop trust within the team. With a virtual team or a distributed team, you don't have those physical uh, in-person presence. So 
you can still build trust, but they're built using work-related stuff like being reliable, being consistent, having integrity, which means keeping your promises, and being responsive. So those are the sort of things, the professional cues rather than the personal cues that you use to build trust. Yeah, Gihan. So for individual team members of a distributor team, uh, you want your team members to make and keep promises. So you talked about integrity, so that's making and keeping promises. So that's one of those work-related cues that can be used to build trust. So first, let's make promises. So that comes down to agreeing in advance on things like deliverables and timelines. One of the ways of doing that is to to write it down and get specific, get all the details in writing, say what the deliverable is and when you're going to deliver it. So that's making the promise and then you've got to keep the promise. You've got to deliver on it. So deliver the deliverable on spec and on time. And if team members are able to do that, make and keep their promises, that's a really strong cue that they're people that you can trust and rely on. And it's not just the people who are, say, doing the the grunt work uh, that this applies to. It applies to all team members alike. So it applies also to to you as a manager or a leader. So as a manager or leader, you've got to facilitate uh, your your workers to get their work done. So often that means providing resources for them. So you need to make promises around, say, providing a particular resource at a particular time for particular team members. Uh, So that's the promises that you need to make and you need to deliver on them as well so that they can trust you as a manager or a leader that they're going to get the resources that they need to get their work done. Moving on to the second component, the the team itself. With distributed teams, you'd like them to use formal and informal online communication channels. So one of the ways that you can do that is to have brief, regular, deferred status updates to keep people informed about what's going on. So we don't want constant and over-checking of people. You just have to have brief ways of updating the rest of your team about what you're doing and how far you're progressing. Another thing you need to do is be clear about the difference between what is urgent and what's important. So a mistake that often gets used is that people try and communicate urgent messages via email. Email is a deferred communication tool. If you need to get in contact with someone urgently, you need to use a different communication channel for that sort of thing. A tool that sometimes fits, a communication channel that sometimes sits between the two is something like instant messaging or SMS. It's in principle, it's a deferred communication tool because you can send an SMS and then sometime later the person will receive it and respond. But often people communicate um, in an immediate fashion with things like SMS. So as a team, decide whether things like instant messaging and SMS are are going to be deferred communication tools or immediate communication tools. Also, if possible, provide a kind of off-the-record communication channel that allows team members to be, say, open and frank about uh, discussing sensitive matters. Uh, It might be the case that all of your communication channels are going to be recorded for for statutory purposes purposes or whatever the organisation requires, but you can get trust by... um, members of your team knowing that they can come to you and discuss things that are a bit sensitive and that that they'll be kept private, they'll be kept between the two of you. So that's another way of building trust with your team members. Yeah, I think what you've been talking about, Chris, is that you're saying as a team, figure out the rules that are going to work for you. So that's great if you can make that work within your team. And if you've got an organization where trust is valued and people do work on trust, that's fantastic. But that isn't always the case. So you might have an organization that does require excessive checking, lots of paperwork, all those sort of things that are required by people outside your team. And as a leader or manager, if you want to 
allow your team to perform effectively, then basically what you do is that you, as a leader or manager, takes on the burden of managing all that sort of outside paperwork, the bureaucracy, all this sort of stuff. So it might mean that if you know if you have to provide a, if you have to write a weekly status meeting of what's going on within your team, then you take on the the burden of writing that report and don't expect your team members to spend um, you put aside their work to write reports or to attend meetings which are necessary and uh, you know just just do the sort of things that will will mean that the rest of the organization is happy with your team and your team's happy with you because you're you're taking that that paperwork and the the systems and the processes and all the bureaucracy off them um, and the other thing that that you can do is don't just put up with it forever. If, if you show that your team is working effectively and you can demonstrate that you, you can get by without all the excessive checking and the paperwork and the constant micromanaging, then it might be seen as an example and a role model for the rest of the organization. You can just prove by your results that there is another way of working. So you can change the culture over time, but until you do that, then the best that you can do as a leader and manager is take on that excessive work so that your team isn't burdened by it. Okay, so that's the first one. So that's that's how to build trust. And the second one is a, is a uh, the, the myth is that it's difficult to build synergy. So in other words, getting a team working together as a team, because again, the the belief is that because you're not there in the same office, because you don't spend time together, you don't get to know each other so well, you don't have these random uh, conversations with people because you bump into them, that is very hard to build synergy. And that's, again, this, the reality is that no, it's not more difficult. It just has to be done intentionally. So you can't just leave it a chance. With a virtual team or a distributed team, then you've got to build collaboration into the team process and do it intentionally. And this is through the whole process. So uh, first of all, when you're recruiting and, and inducting people, and um, when you're setting goals, and then on your in your ongoing activities as well. So make collaboration one of your goals rather than just top-down hierarchy and control. Yeah, yeah, Gihan. So when it comes to your individual team members, ensure that you draw them into the process of um, looking at the goals, roles and objectives of your teamwork. So just because um, someone might be uh, your virtual assistant uh, and it's above their pay grade to be looking at, say, some of the goals and aims of project work that you're doing, um, it's probably a poor idea to just say, well, you're the virtual assistant and you're here to collect minutes or whatever. Instead, uh, you want to they, they, they come to your team perhaps with a great deal of experience. They've worked in other teams. They've worked on other projects. And they may have experienced or seen things done in ways that they can uh, contribute to the work that you're doing together. So incorporate all of your distributed team members into the process of goal setting and, and setting up roles and defining objectives for the work that you're doing. If you, if, you, if you leave them to one side, then you could be missing out on some really valuable insights and skills. When it comes to the team itself, uh, then what you want your team to be using is, we've talked about this earlier, immediate and deferred online collaboration tools. So online collaboration tools are the great facilitator of distributed teamwork. Uh, without them, we really can't, wouldn't be talking about distributed teams in the first place. So it's really important to invest in the right online collaboration tools to make your distributed uh, teamwork possible and easier. So 
we mentioned immediate and deferred, know what the difference between the two is. So with immediate tools, they're ones where all of your team members need to be present at the same time. So they're generally things like your audio and video teleconferencing tools. All of your team, member, team members need to be sitting down at the same time to collaborate with those tools. Your deferred tools are the ones are the opposite, where team members can make use of those tools at different times. They don't all need to be present at the same time. So Gihan and I, we use Google Docs for writing our notes for podcasts. We don't do that at the same time. We do that at whatever time suits us. So those deferred tools are where people can work on them separately. And so know the difference, know the difference and know when to choose a deferred or an immediate tool appropriately. The other thing is, uh, it's a bit like our, our first point, is that you want to encourage team members to suggest tools that they've discovered for themselves. So again, they come to your team with a great deal of experience. They may have used other online collaboration tools in the past and found them to be really effective. So ask them about those experiences and ask them to suggest tools that they found to be really powerful and useful in the past. Yeah, great. And again, Chris, so if you do those sort of things, if you have within your team a strong sense of online collaboration and you provide the tools for that, that's great. The team works well. And again, if you've got an organization that supports that and rewards people for collaborative efforts, not just for individual efforts, then that's fantastic. But if you don't, then again, as a manager or leader, you may have to provide a little bit of a buffer uh, between your team and the rest of the organization's culture. So if you first of all look at how you measure and reward um, if your organization tends to reward individuals rather than teams, then it, it can be hard to change that, especially when things like money are involved and people tend to compare themselves against others within the organization based on money. But there might be some things you can do. So you might have, for example, a bonus scheme that only rewards individual achievements rather than team achievements. And that can be hard to change and maybe some members of your team don't want to change that. But there may be some discretion built into that. So that, that allows you, and when I say you, you and your team, to decide uh, on how some, uh, let's say at least some of the bonus is going to be distributed to the team. Uh, you can ask for a special case. So if your whole, if your team says, look, we'd like to pool the bonuses, and then we'll vote or we'll have some sort of decision-making process about how this distributed, you might be able to get that through HR or senior management, um, or you can find other ways of rewarding them. So they, they may be looking for ongoing growth and development. They may be looking for attending conferences. They may be looking for uh, more out-of-office work. So there may be other non-monetary rewards you can offer them as well. And so that's the first first part of it. So that's how you measure and reward people if, if the organization doesn't support that. And the other thing that gets in the way of synergy is office politics. And for out-of-office workers or distributed teams, uh, this has both pros and cons. So on the positive side, you probably have less office politics with your out-of-office team members because team members, as we said earlier, uh, tend to work together based on work-related things, professional things, rather than some of the other, you know, the, the friction that's outside that. Um, and also, uh, if you've got teams who uh, work together from different offices, there might be some office politics going on at each location, but it's, it's not generally shared within the whole team. So maybe uh, you might be lucky and those sort of 
office politics don't interrupt and get in the way of your team's performance. So there's a, there's a couple of pros, a couple of positive things that happen with out-of-office team members or virtual team members. But also, you just got to be careful. Sometimes office politics is what's going to allow people to be promoted and recognized and rewarded. So uh, some of those virtual team members may be seen as you know, out of sight, out of mind. So as a leader or manager, you might have to be extra careful and work really hard to make sure that you can showcase your team members and their achievements to people outside the team because that may not happen if you don't make a real effort to make that happen. Sounds good, Gihan. Why don't we move on to myth number three? Okay. So the third myth is that team members feel isolated and detached, like working in a remote team or a distributed team. And uh, the reality is, yeah, look, that's that's true sometimes, but some, some people actually people actually thrive uh, using those sort of work arrangements and some people just need to grow into it. Yeah, Gihan. So with your individual team members, ensure that uh, those who are remote uh, remote workers um, feel just as valuable as the rest of the team. So as you mentioned, that this can be a problem, especially if there's a bit of an imbalance. So if you've got um, a large group of people who are in office and a few remote workers, or even if you've got, say, um, the, the, the head office versus, say, a few smaller regional offices, that kind of us and them or that imbalance can, can be a problem. So be on the lookout for that. Um, and it's also really easy for the remote workers to, say, sit back during meetings and let the, the people in the conference room take the lead whilst those people on the phone just sit back back and listen. So as a manager, be mindful of that and make sure you make an extra effort to avoid those remote team members being out of sight and out of mind. So so draw them into the conversation, draw them into all activities. Um, and I guess that leads to the next point where we talk about teams themselves, that you check in regularly with your remote team members. So make sure that you include them in as many of the team activities as you can. It's really easy to say, to say well, you know, Chris is working in Australia. That's in an awkward time zone. Um, we won't include him in the in our regular weekly meetings. We'll just send him the minutes or something. If you can, you know, schedule your meetings in a way that includes as many of your team members as is possible. There are some constraints, um, and you might need to d- use defer- deferred collaboration tools for that sort of thing. But as much as possible, uh, include your remote team members in the activities that uh, that that you do. Yeah, and this is one area, Chris, where I think it probably doesn't matter too much what the rest of the organization does. So even if the rest of the organization doesn't have a lot of distributed teams, it doesn't matter because this is one where that that's not going to have much of an impact on your on your team as long as you do the things that you've just mentioned. And the one area where it might make a difference is when you're recruiting people. So when you're recruiting people for your teams, just consider whether they might be the sort of people who want to work remotely or uh, in a virtual way um, and you know, get HR on, on your side there and make sure that when you're recruiting, when you're advertising, when you're interviewing, that you make sure that uh, you ask people look, how much remote or distributed work do they want because it might be something that they'd want to do and it might work out uh, to everyone's benefit if you do that. Yeah. So. Myth number four, Gihan, tell us about that. Yeah. So myth number four is a really easy one to believe, and that is that interpersonal skills aren't important for your distributed teams because it seems like they're sitting at home in front of their computer and all they care about is the work that they do and they don't have to interact with other people, um, certainly not face-to-face or uh, physically. Uh, But actually, the reality is that, if anything, interpersonal skills are even more important because for the very reason that you don't have the normal visual, non-verbal cues that you have with your in-person team members. So uh, virtual team members actually do need a very high level of 
emotional intelligence, communicating and collaborating with people. They just have to operate without those normal in-person cues, like the group dynamics, the, the instant feedback, the nonverbal language. So they need to have the skills to be able to build those relationships without having the sort of things that the in-person team members um, take for granted. Yeah, Gihan. So your, your, as you say, your individual remote workers need to have much higher emotional intelligence and, and strong communication skills. So as a manager, what you can do is you can encourage your remote workers to show their face. So show more of themselves than just their, their the professional professional aspect of them, of their personalities. Uh, maybe make some time for uh, your remote workers to let the rest of the team know a bit more about them other than just uh, the work that they're doing. If possible, give them some access to some, some soft skills training, so some communication and teamwork training. And if there's mentoring available, then uh, make that available to them as well. And you mentioned recruiting earlier, Gihan, so be on the lookout uh, during the recruitment phase for people who demonstrate really strong communication and interpersonal skills. At the team level, as a, as a manager, you need to quickly address and resolve any interpersonal interpersonal issues. So be on the lookout for those kinds of problems. They might not be obvious, as you mentioned. Uh, those those cues that you get when people are communicating face to face aren't always available. So you've got to be uh, mindful to the fact that uh, you need to look more closely at communications to pick up on those sorts of things. Again, check in regularly with your remote workers and ask them if there are any issues that they're having and be explicit about asking those questions to see if there are problems that are arising and need to be dealt with quickly. And when problems do arise, uh, deal with them straight away. And if necessary, that might mean you need to have a, a high bandwidth communication event, so something like a teleconference or a video conference, in order to get to the, the parties who are involved together at the same time to uh, work out what that difficulty is and come up with a solution. Yeah, good, good. And again, Chris, I think this is one where it doesn't matter too much if the organization doesn't support the whole idea that, you know, your virtual remote team members should have strong interpersonal skills because a lot of that is going to be up to you and you just make sure that uh, within the team and when you're in your recruitment and then within your ongoing activities, you do care about those things. I think the only thing to be, be wary of is that if your organization doesn't have a big emphasis on virtual or distributed team members, just be careful that those people don't fall through the cracks. So you might provide, for example, in-person training so people down tools and go to a workshop and those remote or virtual team members miss out on that so just make sure that they don't um, inadvertently get forgotten or left by the wayside just because they don't happen to be in the office so you might have to allow ways for them to do online training through MOOCs or other other ways of doing online learning um, similarly if you have a mentoring program within your organization it might be that people get together in an off in their mentor's office um, but again if you don't have the chance for your distributor team members do that, maybe you need to, uh, first of all, encourage the idea that it's online mentoring and then facilitate it using things like a video conference or Skype or maybe even get your distributed team members to team up with external mentors. So you might need to make special cases for them. And again, it just means going into bat for them because uh, they might be forgotten by the rest of the organization. Excellent. All right. Our final myth, Gihan. Yes, and the, the last one is about something that we touched on earlier, which is about reward and recognition. So the myth is that you can't 
effectively measure and reward performance of your distributed team members. And um, that's just the, the myth based on that, that outdated belief that if you can't see them, you don't know that they're working. And uh, the reality is, of course, uh, when you, as, as soon as you kind of expose that myth, it's obvious that sometimes you can even do it better with your uh, distributed teams because you've got electronic measuring tools. Um, but it just it just makes sense that just because you can't see your team members every day it doesn't mean that you can't engage with them, measure their performance and reward them appropriately uh, as long as you're rewarding them for the results, not just for being in the office. Yeah. So as you said, Gihan, reward your remote workers for their results rather than their activity. So emphasize that to your team members. Let them know that that's really what you care about and you know, and be true to your word. Prove that when it actually matters. So for example, if uh, one of your workers delivers something early uh, and then they take some time off, that's okay because what you're what you're uh, focusing on is that they've delivered and if, if they've got – if they take the rest of the week off, that's okay. But, but – uh, don't neglect collaboration. It might be that if they take a day off, then they're not available to collaborate with someone who needs uh, someone else in the team who needs that person's input into some work that they're doing. So uh, as a team, use measurement tools for performance or for improvement rather than just for monitoring. So be honest about it. Let your team members know what tools you're using them and, and how they're going to be used and be transparent in that the, the data that you collect, the performance data that those tools collect, uh, that data is available to them so they can see for themselves um, how, they're, how they're tracking, whether they're improving or whether, whether they're declining. Um, and they've got access to the same information that you have when it comes to measuring their performance. Yeah, and a good thing from the organizational viewpoint is that most organizations will say that we reward people based on their results. Now, whether they actually do that in practice or not is another thing. But if you, as a manager or leader, if you measure your team members based on their results and the organization is paying lip service to the idea that they're that they also reward on results, then just hold them to that. Say, look, this is what this is what you say, and uh, we're not going to measure our team members based on the hours they put in, but on their results. And uh, our organisational values chart says the same thing. So, so you've got the you've got the ammunition to hold them to that. And uh, similarly with HR and the systems that you use, uh, make sure that you've got processes and tools that do actually measure and reward people based on their results. And uh, again, if the organisation is only paying lip service to it. You might not have those tools in place, but again, you've got the license to go out and investigate and discover and implement those sort of tools, processes, and systems, first of all, within the team, and then you document them and share them with HR so that they can be used throughout the organization as well. Excellent, Gihan. Well, I think we've busted five myths there today, which is there anything you'd like to add in conclusion? Oh, look, I just think this is one of those areas that even experienced leaders and managers can trip up because they are used to uh, a lot of things that they're now, they're, they're unconsciously competent uh, with in-person teams and suddenly those cues disappear and some of those dynamics disappear and the things that they take for granted with in-person teams that they don't realize they now have to relearn or put different strategies in place when they've got distributed or virtual teams. So it's one of those things that if you're managing or leading uh, virtual team members or distributed team members for the first time, just think about some of the things that you might be taking for granted and that you now need to rethink 
how you're going to achieve the same objectives or have the same wisdom that you have with your in-person teams. Yeah, and I think it's becoming increasingly important, Gihan, not just with the rise of out-of-office work, but the fact that teams, even within traditional organisations, are now being distributed across the globe. So it's it's timely and it's important. And uh, we'll have a, a post in uh, the out-of-office blog devoted to this particular podcast episode where we'll share some links and some notes about what we've talked about today. Um, And as always, if you've got any questions, comments or other feedback, then you can leave those those in the comments on the Out of Office podcast blog, uh, which you can find at outofofficebook.com. And since I mentioned outofofficebook.com, Gihan, why don't you tell people about Out of Office the book? Yes, that's right. It's a book that we wrote. Uh, It is actually written uh, for the employees or the team members who want to work out of office and it shows you how to do that and shows you how to do that effectively both in terms of um, some of the principles and some of the strategies as well as some practical tools and techniques that you can use. Um, And also, by the way, Chris, for this particular episode, uh, we talked about these five myths. Uh, There's also a special report that I wrote in conjunction with Citrix, which is all about about this exact topic, five myths about leading virtual teams. There's a public resource that Citrix makes freely available and we'll provide a link to that in the in the blog post for this episode as well. Excellent, Gihan. So we'll be back next month with another episode of the Out of Office podcast. So until then, thanks very much, Gihan, and bye for now. Yeah, thanks very much, Chris. Visit our website at outofofficebook.com where you can read all our show notes, subscribe to the podcast, and get our book Out of Office. We wish you all the best in creating the work style of your choice.